Good morning. As um, Don asked the Lord to bless in his prayer, uh, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13. Turn there, please. This is the great love chapter of the New Testament. And we associate this chapter with love for one another in a general sense. We apply this chapter also in a general sense, perhaps without ever allowing it to seep down into our assembly life. I saw a wedding card long ago that had the uh, verses four through eight written on the front of the card. And um, it was very appropriate application. If you happen to see another one of these cards in the store, buy one for me. But um, the context is not marriage that, um, that Paul is addressing. He, um, <coughs> he wrote it um, to the Corinthians to address a particular situation. So in review, chapter 12 opens with the introduction. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. So he, he's addressing this, uh, this area of spirituals or spiritual gifts. Spiritual gift, if you remember from the uh, teaching of these past weeks, is a manifestation of the Spirit given to each one. I'm sorry. Uh, it's a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. So this is an enabling that the Holy Spirit gives in a, uh, to supernaturally empower us. The Holy Spirit sovereignly gives at least one gift to each believer at salvation. And it's as unique a gift in its ministering and its activity as the uh, thumbprints, the fingerprints that, uh, that each of us has. The purpose of the spiritual gifts is um, in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, for each one for the profit of all. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. So the benefit is not so much for the one who received the gift as it is for others in the fellowship to whom he ministers. We tend to think of a gift as something that we, uh, we accept, we receive, and then we take home and enjoy. But this is a gift that's, um, that's for others that we receive. Chapter 12 goes on to describe the diversity of many members and yet the unity of one body. Paul stresses the interdependence of believers as opposed to their independence. And then in chapter 14, we trust, as the Lord permits, that we will look at the um, order the rules and order for the proper use of spiritual gifts. So Paul wrote chapter 13 in the context of spiritual gifts, not as a side note, not as a convenient place to write an excursus on love, but as uh, instruction to address particular problems in the uh, Corinthian assembly. I enjoy this chapter. I looked uh, months in advance with anticipation to um, studying and presenting truths of this chapter. But um, as I got into it, I 
realized that the Lord was searching my heart because chapter 13 tells what love does in the assembly and what I do not in the assembly. It puts shoes on what for many of us is just theory. It, um, it gives life to uh, those who otherwise just have a warm regard for other saints in the fellowship. This um, love with which uh, um, Paul addresses the Corinthians is a challenge. It's meant to be a challenge for me, for us today. But it's an impossibility for those who are estranged from the Lord. It's just plain impossible. So um, in verse 12, I'm sorry, in chapter 12, verse 31, Paul, he tells the Corinthians, but earnestly desire the best gifts. So the, um, the Corinthians might have thought, okay, we desire the best gifts, we've got them. So that's all that we need. But Paul goes on in verse 31 to say, and yet I will show you a more excellent way. The Corinthians may have responded, well, Paul, we've got the best. We've got the best gifts. We come behind in no gifts. What, um, what do we lack? Well, Paul's going to show them a more excellent way. So let's pick up here in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I can move, remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, uh, like as a martyr for Christian truth, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Lord, we see what love does and what love should do in our assembly. We pray that you would use your word this morning in our lives to um, make us uh, an assembly and individuals who are known 
for the love that we have for one another. We ask, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. We're going to divide this chapter into four sections. First, the indispensability or necessity of love. That is, what we can't do without love. Second, the qualities of love, what love does. Third, reasons for emphasizing love over spiritual gifts. And fourth, love is the greatest of the Christian graces. Thinking about the indispensability or necessity of love, there was a problem in the Corinthian Bible Chapel. Bill McDonald writes, quoting a, another author in his commentary, he says, the, the Corinthians were impatient, discontented, envious, inflated, selfish, unmindful of the feelings and interests of others, suspicious, resentful, and censorious. In simplified terms, the Corinthians were self-promoting instead of others edifying. So let's look at um, verses 1 through 3. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. Put yourself in the Corinthian assembly this morning. The speaker announces that he will address you um, on the truths of 1 Corinthians 13 and Swahili. You're impressed. How many Swahili speakers do we have in the assembly? Ah, none. Well, great. This man is going to speak a language that he has never studied. He's never, never opened a book of Swahili. And yet, um, he's going to, to speak on it with a supernatural ability to speak that language. So, for the next 45 minutes, I'm going to speak to you in Swahili. Impressive. Have you ever been in a meeting where the preacher was speaking in a language you did not understand? And you, uh, you sat through that um, for 45 minutes trying to get some meat from, from what he was speaking. Have you ever been in a conversation where you were the only one who didn't speak the language that the others were speaking? And it was kind of fun for a minute to try to discern, you know, what, what are these people saying? I kind of, I know what that word means. And, uh, and yet you're waiting for somebody to speak in English so that, uh, so that you understand. It's just kind of, um, I, I feel left out. I feel like I wasted that time. It was not profitable for me. So you endured 1 Corinthians 13 in Swahili. At the end of the message, the speaker announces that in the following weeks, he would give messages in Chakwe, in Japanese, in Romanian, in Tibetan. Will you be, in, uh, will you be impressed by his ability to uh, exercise his spiritual gifts 
or has our speaker become clanging cymbals? You don't mind if I continue this for the rest of the uh, hour, do you? Thank you. Our speaker has become a clanging symbol, and he's someone to be endured rather than enjoyed, and at some point avoided. Maybe I'll um, skip out on the next uh, few weeks of teaching at the Corinthian chapel. The problem is that the speaker is seeking his own recognition. He's not um, after the saints to benefit them. His goal is not to um, edify his audience. The gift was genuinely of the Holy Spirit, but its exercise was void of the fruit of the Spirit, that is, love. And it appears to have been a very real problem in the assembly at Corinth. Others may have the ability to tell the future in the Corinthian assembly. They may have spoken divinely, imparted knowledge. They may have had mountain-moving faith. Uh, they may have given all their possessions to feed the poor and even sacrificed himself as a martyr for the gospel, but all for self-promotion and not seeking the benefit of his brothers and sisters. This one brother may have asked to have chiseled on his headstone, he moved mountains. And yet uh, someone came by later and wrote, for what benefit? For what purpose? Two examples in my life offer stark contrast to the misuse of tongues in the Corinthian assembly. Ed Lopez, um, many of you know, um, and uh, Ed went to the Open Door Mission. He would preach there to the homeless uh, in downtown Oakland on Sunday afternoons. One, uh, one Sunday, as he preached the gospel to the um, men and women in the little assembly there, he stopped um, toward the finish of his message. He said, um, I notice in the back that uh, some of my Spanish-speaking brethren are here, so I'm going to speak uh, I'm going to speak to them. And I believe he preached the same gospel to, to these men as he did in English uh, during the first part of the meeting. Ed didn't have the gift of tongues, but he knew Spanish. And he had a love, um, a vital uh, passion for the lost. And so he preached to them in Spanish. That same old gospel is preached Today, you may have gone 10, 20, 30, or more years doing your own thing, going your own way. And uh, you expect somehow that at the end of that time that uh, God is going to welcome you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. We, we go our own way, we pay the consequences for that, and the wages of those consequences is sin. Christ suffered eternity on the cross that uh, you may not have to endure that because he endured that for you. And so we offer that same invitation on the authority of God's word that um, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for you. And we 
urge you, we beg you, if you are still estranged from the Lord Jesus Christ and have the penalty of sin hanging over your head, that you trust in Christ's finished work for your eternal welfare. He loves you that much. Another example of um, this, uh, this exercise of um, a spiritual gift in love was in 1995. My dad and I went on vacation to uh, southern Germany. It was a very precious time. And we visited um, an assembly in Munich. We identified ourselves very quickly to the non-English speakers as non-German speakers. So when the speaker came up to speak, he started speaking. And uh, my dad and I were, um, were really not following. And so this, um, this young brother came over, he scooted over next to us, and he, he bent down and he started translating into English for us. I didn't ask him. He didn't, uh, uh, no one complained, but he just did that because he, he knew that we wanted to benefit from the, the message that morning. There is potential for misuse of spiritual gifts, but if we exercise them in love, we will edify the saints, and that's the reason why the Holy Spirit gave them. He tells us his purpose for spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 14, 5. Paul wrote that the church may receive edification. That's the purpose for the church, for the benefit of, of the other saints. Also in Ephesians 4, starting at verse 11, and he gave... He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the ministry. So here are, here's an array of gifts that the Lord gives uh, for the uh, equipping of the saints. For the edifying of the body of Christ. The edifying means the building up. We're going to build up the body of Christ through our personal gifts. Till... We all come to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So here's our goal. Our goal is to so build up these, uh, these brothers and sisters that they stand in maturity in the, in the fullness of, of Christ. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So it requires uh, being joined and knit together so that we each do our share. I take my gift and I go home. <clears throat> I keep it at home. I don't share it. I'm not benefiting the body. So we need to, uh, we need to join and knit together and uh, work together, every part doing its share for the growth of the body, for the edifying of itself. So really, love is indispensable in the assembly. We're nothing without it. What are the qualities of love? What does love do in its more excellent way? 
It's important for each believer to know what his or her gift or gift is or gifts are. So I'd like to take just a moment to review the list of gifts that Don had, um, had presented in the last weeks. And I want you to make a, um, make a mental check next to your gift, the gift that the Holy Spirit has given you. Are those all? There's more. Can you fit them on the screen? Okay. Do you see your gift in this list? If you don't know your gift, please speak to a mature brother or sister in the assembly and find out what that gift is. Why? Why is it so important to know your gift? Because we want to develop that gift. We want to use that gift for the benefit of our brothers and sisters. That's reason number one. We, um, we have to know what that gift is. The second reason is um, so that I'm not striving after a gift that's not mine. I want to be an evangelist. I want to be a preacher. But if that's not my gift, I'm going to be very frustrated and very exhausted trying to um, be that gifted evangelist or be that gifted preacher. I do much better when I concentrate on my spiritual gift. Okay, so we have reasons. And uh, Scripture's pretty clear that the Apostle Paul addresses Timothy and tells him to exercise his gift, that uh, Timothy knew what his gift was. Paul knew what Timothy's gift was. So it's important to us. Well, what does love do? Love suffers long and is kind. As, uh, as we go through these, um, these things that love does, I want to attach them to a spiritual gift and show that um, there is a special um, uh, something that we want to avoid or something that we want to do in exercising that, that gift Paul is offering here to us. So, so love suffers long and is kind. The gift that I thought of was the gift of pastoring, the gift of shepherding. So as I, if I were a shepherd, if I were a pastor, I would really benefit from exercising this, um, this gift in love that suffers long and is kind. One of the saints is in trouble. One of the saints needs counsel. The elders offer counsel, but they're rebuffed. They're, um, uh, they're refused. Their counsel is refused. Does the, does the elder uh, at that point withdraw from the, uh, the sheep and the flock, 
or does, um, does he continue to love and to support that, that troubled sheep? And I, I believe that the, the shepherd does because love suffers long and is kind. Someone has said that to be an elder, you have to have the heart of an elephant and you have to have the hide also, the skin thickness of an elephant to bear those abuses. Love accepts rejection without retaliation. Love does not envy. And perhaps this applies to any gift. But um, I don't envy the gifts in, in my brothers and sisters. I triumph in them. I rejoice in them. Selfishly, I'm benefiting from them. But um, in the previous chapter, we read, if the whole body were an eye, where would, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? So um, what use is a, um, a big eyeball going to do in the, in, the, in the body? If that were the whole body, I shouldn't be envying that, uh, that gift. And love does not envy uh, the gifts in other brothers and sisters. Love recognizes the behind-the-scenes ministry and accepts those tasks that others reject and excels in those unwanted tasks. Love does that. Third, love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Love doesn't strut or swagger. It doesn't think itself superior to those without the gift. But it prays as one man prayed, O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, from the desire of being extolled, from the desire of being honored, from the desire of being praised, from the desire of being preferred to others, from the desire of being consulted, from the desire of being approved, from the fear of being humiliated, from the fear of being despised, from the fear of suffering rebukes, from the fear of being forgotten, from the fear of being ridiculed, from the fear of being wronged, from the fear of being suspected. Love does not compare its gift to others and it doesn't compete with other brethren for earthly or heavenly honors. Love does not behave rudely. Love is courteous, considerate, sensitive to the strengths and weaknesses of others. And I, I think of this in the gift of teaching. J.N. Darby was one of the gifted teachers of the 19th century, ministering to the poor as readily as to the rich and famous he pointed out scripture truths that had largely been neglected for centuries, and we owe him much today. But Darby was unsympathetic with those who failed to understand his arguments. That he could be ungracious and scathing in his criticism is evident in the incident where when the great evangelist Dwight L. Moody failed to grasp a point, Darby turned to a bystander and remarked, I'm here to supply exposition, 
not brains. Yeah, yeah, for real. Love would have made allowance for imperfections and shortcomings of those to whom uh, he ministered. Love does not seek its own. George Mueller wrote, Love is the principle of unselfishness. It is the preference of another's pleasure and profit over our own. In regards to the gift, the spiritual gift of giving, the giver has no thought of return or repayment, doesn't expect even a thank you from the recipient. Love is unconditional. It's generous. Love rejoices that you now have what, uh, what I had in the way of possessions. And uh, Don illustrated um, last week that George Mueller would receive personal gifts <clears throat> far above what he, um, what he needed. And so he would, he, he would think, well, this gift must belong to someone else. And so he'd, he'd just pass it on to, to a needy person. Our Lord Jesus gave liberally, gave himself freely, and is the supreme example of this kind of love, as he is all the, um, the things that love does. Love is not provoked. Thinking further about this, um, this generous giver, he gives all that he has. He, um, uh, he gives generously, freely, without any expectation of return, and so he sees the other believers in the assembly who are not quite so generous. They're not, um, not as free in their giving. They're kind of um, uh, hoping to get some recognition or, uh, or reciprocation. But the gifted brother um, is not provoked by them. He, um, he realizes that that others have different gifts, and so he's, um, he's not at all exasperated by his less generous brethren. But uh, because his focus is on the Lord, he sees the Lord as the original giver, and uh, so he is, um, he's not provoked. Love thinks no evil. Matthew Henry wrote in his commentary, Love does not suspect evil of others, it will hide faults that appear and draw a veil over them instead of hurting and raking out those faults that lie covered and concealed. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. I think again of um, shepherds, of overseers, if evil comes into my brother's life as a consequence of his foolishness and disobedience, love does not delight in it. There's no victory. There's no triumph in his failure. Love does not delight in a brother's stumbling or fall. As it relates to the gift of exhortation, love never says, I told you so. I, I told you that you were going to run into trouble if you didn't change this aspect of your, your behavior and now you're suffering for it. Love doesn't do that. Love doesn't say, I told you so. Love bears all things. 
In, uh, in the gift of helps, it means a willingness to serve alone. Unlike Martha in Luke 10.40, who exhorted the Lord Jesus to tell her sister to help her. Love is willing to labor alone. The missionary hymn may well apply to these, um, these gifted helpers. So send I you to labor unrewarded, to serve unpaid, unloved, unsought, unknown, to bear rebuke, to suffer scorn and scoffing, so send I you to toil for me alone. Love believes all things. What does love believe? When a brother comes and confesses sin for the seven times 70th time, love takes him at his word. Love believes that he's sincere and genuinely confessing that sin. And so for the seven times 70th time, I forgive him and forget the offense. Love does that. Barnabas believed in love that John Mark was sincere when he returned and wanted to accompany Paul and Barnabas on their next missionary journey. Barnabas forgave John Mark. What about a brother or sister who stands accused of a, a transgression and there were not the required two or three witnesses? If that brother or sister denies the allegation, denies that he or she did the transgression, love accepts the denial of guilt and puts the best possible construction on actions and events. That's difficult when there's an accusation in the air, there's an accusation out there, how do I treat that brother or sister? Do I accept that, um, that uh, denial? Love hopes all things. I think of the evangelist here. The evangelist in love puts confidence in the profession of faith of a troubled, confused soul who just wants to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. It's a very, um, a very light faith, but it's a faith nonetheless. The evangelist says, I believe that. I hope that. And finally, love endures all things. The helper, the pastor, the evangelist is not easily disappointed. And so in love, he endures um, setbacks, reversals. Um, so those are what love does. Those are things that love does. Paul gives several reasons for preferring love over spiritual gifts. And he gives four of them. In um, verse 8, he says, love never fails. Love never willows, uh, wither, withers like a flower and dies. Love is never off course like a ship out of control. Love never loses its vitality. Love never fails. That's one reason for preferring love over emphasizing these spiritual gifts. The gifts, especially the apostolic sign gifts, were only temporary. We read this in um, verse 8. Where there are prophecies, they will fail. 
Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. There are two interpretations of this temporary nature of the gifts. Some see these, um, uh, these passing gifts as um, believers in the eternal state, believers with the Lord Jesus. There is not the need for the gifts there. But um, others believe that Paul refers to the completion of Scripture. And uh, that is um, what in verse 10 is the thing that is perfect, when that which is perfect has come. For example, uh, Paul's, uh, in Paul's day, tongues were still in use. They were a sign gift. They were to authenticate the Lord's messengers. But they would cease as soon as the 66 books of the Bible were complete. The apostles knew in part, and they prophesied in part, verse 9 tells us, because they had received only partial revelations from the Lord. Each had a piece of the puzzle, and they had to wait for all the pieces to be on the board until they could assemble the whole. But when the Bible was complete, the last book was written about 95 A.D., the revelation of divine truth and the prophesying of these truths in a supernatural way would no longer be needed. So that's, um, that's a second reason why we should prefer love over, uh, over gifts um, is the temporary nature of them. Third, the sign gifts were connected with the infancy of the church in verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. The gifts of the Spirit were not childish. They were necessary. But when the church matures, these, these miraculous gifts would have been put aside. And then fourth... In verse 12, now we, that is the apostles, see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. So the apostles could see obscurely what the Lord was, was teaching, what he was uh, presenting. But we, that is the apostles, should be patient for when Scripture is complete, then we will know fully and more intimately, that is face to face, the mind of God. For all these reasons, we should focus on love in the exercise of our gifts and not the gifts themselves. Finally, love is the greatest of Christian graces. In verse 13, now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The gift of prophecy failed, tongues ceased, the gift of knowledge vanished away, but now abide faith, hope, and love. Our faith today will soon give way to sight. We will see the Lord Jesus. We will not have need for, for faith. 
we shall see him as he is. Hope will in glory have achieved its favorable end, its confident expectation. No need for faith, no need for hope. But love continues through eternity, growing as uh, we trust, because God through the ages will show us the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Therefore, love is the greatest because love will last for eternity and really it's the most needed for the church today. In conclusion, what is your spiritual gift? Put it to work, not for self-promotion, but for the benefit of the other saints in the fellowship. This is the Holy Spirit's purpose for his gift to you. Do what love does. The Apostle Paul showed the Corinthians a more excellent way to exercise their spiritual gifts, that is, in love. And he shows us at Calvary Bible Chapel today that we be not a clanging cymbal, but be one who builds up the other believers in our assembly. Let's pray. Once again, Lord, we thank you for the practicality of your word and how it, um, it does search our hearts. It um, shows us what you desire, shows us what love does. We pray that we might be more true to your word, that um, we would honor you, delight you, because you're worthy of, of that. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.